so blessed, so blessed to be here, stoked on this text, just got to preach it like 10 minutes ago, and you know, before that I was like, I'm really scared about this text, and because uh, it's a weighty text, but uh, I'm, I'm fired up, so kind of sweaty already, and uh, so hopefully it's good, so second service, you know, love you guys, usually, you, you know, I, so I, sometimes I'm like, second service, okay, what's, what's the second service about, they like the people that were spending some more time praying, but they're like, let's stay home pray together as a family, then we'll go to church. Or, or is it like, oh gosh, I woke up so late. Well, I guess we'll go to church. I don't know. So I'm, now I'm just judging you. I'm sorry. But I, I love second service. I love second service. And um, yeah, so I don't know where you fall on that. But um, uh, real quick before I pray, I know that uh, second service is when the high school and the junior high meet, and they meet right through the foyer, foyer, for the Americans, and uh, right through there, and they're studying the book of Acts right now, kind of going through that. So if you have a student, or you're like curious, how do the students get involved at this church? Are there students at this church below the age of 20? Yes, there are. They're, they're in the children's ministry on that side, but yeah. So I'd encourage you, if you, if you are, know someone, you know, there's just, they're a solid group of kids. I love them, and uh, I'm really blessed to be part of their lives for a lot of years. Let's pray and get into the Word. God, we just, uh, wow, we get to talk to you. We get to know you, and we get to intercede right now. Um, I get to intercede on behalf of this church, this group of people. And I pray, God, that right now your Holy Spirit would just prepare our hearts. I pray, God, that the things that we come with into this room um, that may be distracting, it may be accusing, um, maybe burdening our soul. God, I just ask right now you lift that and that you would make a way for your word to speak clearly and loudly. And so God, help me to speak your word. Um, and God, I pray that you would encourage our souls. Unite us together right now in this gospel, in this beautiful word. Be with us, God. We love you. We trust you. And we're seeking you right now in Jesus' beautiful name. Amen. 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 Okay, um, we're going to be in Colossians, Colossians chapter 2, if you want to go there, um, starting at verse 13 is where we're going to be, but let me just kind of give a short summary, kind of where we've been going. Um, we you know, started in the bush, book of Colossians earlier this summer, and it was really just, um, if, if I was in the Colossian church, it would, be, it, it would be kind of frustrating, I guess, if you were the type of person that you'd come in and you're just like, just give me instructions, tell me what to do, uh, because Paul spends like a good portion of chapter one, pretty much all of chapter one, just telling them who Jesus is. It's like, he's this, and he's this, and he's this glorious, and he's, uh, he's in the fullness of the Godhead, and all these beautiful things about who Jesus is, and it may be a little bit frustrating for the more type A folks in that church. They're like, just what do I need to do, though? That's great. And so Paul, though, it's really interesting. He's just pushing in on wanting them to know who Jesus is first, before he kind of gets into maybe some of the scenarios and problems that were, uh, confusions that were going down in the church. And then in verse 8, you know, just look, look back at this verse here. And verse 8 is kind of right where Paul starts to get in to the battle, I guess, or, or that, that the church was facing. It says, see to it that no one takes you captive. So that's kind of the gist of kind of what, what this church was battling with, was this sense of, of captivity, a sense of... Um, not totally knowing if they're free and there was, I don't know, teachers or influences or cult- cultural influences that were confusing this group of believers. And then Paul goes into, in verse 8, he kind of begins like this digging of like reminding them of who they are in Christ. There's all these in, in him. You're, you walk in him. You're built in him. Uh, you're circumcised in him. Uh, you, you, are, you, you are buried with him and raised with him. And then in our text right here, it's like where Paul's digging, 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 and he gets to this, like, the vein of this mine, and he's just like, this is the core of where you come from and why you are who you are. And, and so, man, it's been an intimidating studying this passage because it's so weighty and I believe just so important for us. If I'm going to get one message right, and one message clearly, man, I, this is the one. This is the one I want to nail. Um, not for me, but for us. Because the gospel is important. And, and the way that we see the gospel 
uh, and the way that we define it and know why it's good news, not just, oh, yeah, gospel, good news, but the, the, re- the way that we understand why it is and how it is, boy, that changes our, our lives. And what Paul's going to get at, it changes your identity. It changes who you are. So, okay, enough anticipation. You're like, let's just read it. Okay, let's read it. Patience. Verse 13. And you who were dead in your trespasses and the uncircumcision of your flesh, God made alive together with him, having forgiven us all trespasses by canceling the record of debt that stood against us with its legal demands. And he set aside, nailing it to the cross, he disarmed the rulers and authorities and put them to open shame by triumphing over them in him. Therefore, let no one pass judgment on you in question of food or drink or with regard to festival and new moon or uh, new moon or, or his Sabbath. These are, shadow, are a shadow of the things to come, but the substance belongs to Christ. Let no one disqualify you, insisting on asceticism, worship of angels, going on in detail about visions, puffed up without reason by his sensuous mind and not holding fast to the head from whom the whole body, nourishing it together, through its joints and ligaments, grows with the growth that it's from God. Okay. Wow. Okay, a lot there. Now, when, in, in getting at this thing, when you've got, got to keep in context kind of the drift of where Paul has gone and where he lands us right here, that, as I said, kind of digging into this reality of what does it look like to be in him. And verse 13 is that, is that I think, just the core of what this identity means. Um, when he says, and you were dead in your trespasses, uncertainly your flesh, God made alive together with him. But before we get in, there's so much good, so much good truths that, we, that I want to get into here. But before we get into that, there's this one little phrase that just is, is kind of like that, that punch in the gut, that reminder to these Christians, these Christians, that this, he says, and you who are dead, and you who are dead. It's kind of an odd way of like, oh, wait, isn't this good news? It's like, and you were dead. And we, ha- and we have to look at this, and we have to understand this, because this is where Paul's taking us from, and he needs this to explain where we're going. And this deadness, this is something that we see all through the Bible. I mean, it's, a, it's Old Testament, all, all through Jesus' um, his message, and then Paul really expounds on this as an important thing for us to understand, to understand ourselves. Because if we understand ourselves and where we come from, we can see, and it, it carries a weight to where we're actually going um, in this way. The, a, a natural death is really, I mean, the Bible understands it in this way, that it's just a separation um, of your soul from your body. But a spiritual death, this is something that's rooted back all the way to the garden. It's a separation of, of our soul from God. It's this, this removal of the presence of God from all of humanity, because in the garden, when we look back at our first parents, there was something that was fractured there, right? There was something that went way wrong. There was this community. It was beautiful. There was this fellowship. And then sin came into, this, into the world, and, and it was acted upon, and all of a sudden, man is separated from the presence of God. There was this death, this spiritual death that occurred. Um, we see this. Let me give you a few verses. You know, you know I could talk and talk. Listen to this. Uh, and you were dead in the trespasses of your sins. This is Ephesians 2, verse 1. You were dead in trespasses of your sin, which you once walked, following the courts of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now in work, and the sons of disobedience, among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind, and were by nature children of wrath, like the rest of mankind. So when you have... Children, you're like, oh, children of wrath. This makes total sense now. They're just full of wrath. We must destroy them. You know, no. You don't think that. But that's what you, when you read that, you're like, wow. This is, this is really quite deep and vivid. That we are dead in our, in our, in our sin. We're dead in our flesh, in our nature. Um, and later in Romans 8, it says this. For the mind that is set on the flesh is hostile to God. It does not submit to God's law. Indeed, it cannot. Those who are in the flesh cannot please God. 1 Corinthians 2.14 says this, The natural person, the natural person does not accept the things of the Spirit of God, for they are folly to him, and he is not able to understand them because they are spiritually discerned. So, 
there's this understanding that, we, that Paul wanted these Christ, Christians, okay? He wants these Christians to understand they were at one time dead spiritually. That their desires did not, they were not bent toward God at all. They were bent toward just flesh, just whatever they wanted. They were, in a sense, let, let to do whatever the heck they wanted to do for, yeah. So, it's, it's just these kind of things, okay, these kind of truths that we see in the Bible can sometimes be a little bit hard to, okay, how does this look? How does this look in, in, in our own lives here? You know, with me sitting in my chair right now, hearing this, I'm dead. Um, and I think for me, I can just, let me just give you my own case scenario, if you will, my own testimony. Um, my first encounter with hearing the gospel when I, when I was seven years old was at this thing called Buddy Bear's Day Camp, okay? Anybody Buddy Bear's? Alumni in here? No. One. No? Yeah, one. My brother, of course. <laughs> it's like, I was like, no way. I was like, oh, I found you, you know, community. We understand each other. Uh, no, so we just, and it was an interesting scenario, the, a big blue bear. And, um, but there was this, I don't know how that tied in, but it, there was this moment, this, well, this moment, I was like seven years old, and I was in this room, and they said, hey, if anybody wants to hear the gospel or talk more about this, stay um, stay in this room. And then if they, anybody wants to go watch a movie, go in this room. And I'm like, no brainer. Let's go watch a movie, you know? So, but the, the reality was I, I, due to my hard hearing and I didn't have hearing aids at the time, I didn't, I mixed it up. I thought you stay for the movie and then if you go, if you want to talk more. So I'm sitting in this room just waiting and it's all of a sudden I find myself just talking face to face with this this lady, and she's sharing, a, sharing the gospel with me. Bless her soul. And, um, and, and it just, at the end, you know, it's like, so would you like to pray this prayer with me? Like, yeah, why not? You know, okay. And, and so I asked myself, was that the moment that I went from death, spiritual death, to life? And I have to say no, because if I look at my life, and on from there, my uh, career, or my, my desires hadn't changed a whole lot. I mean, like, for example, like, in my church, we, we would, uh, you know, there was, like, it was a small church, and we would use uh, overheads to show the slides for the music and stuff. And so I was like, I want that job, because if I do that, I can just, just do the slides, and I can check out. I don't have to listen. I don't, have, I don't even have to sing, you know? What a deal. And I just didn't care to sing to God. I didn't have a desire for him. Um, so I just did the overhead projector. Um, it's this box about this big, and it has a light. It may, you know, has a light in it, and it projects onto a mirror. Anyway, it's before some time, some of your times, but, so that's, that's what I did. No, Gunther's like, no way, man, I was all about it, and, uh, um, so th- that was my gig, and then later through, through high school, um, I mean, I was just, just doing my, th- I was doing the high school thing, doing whatever I, I really want to do. I went to church. I was there. Um, if you asked me, so, Ben, do you believe in God? And I'm like, yeah, sure, I believe in God. Uh, do you believe that Jesus died for your sins? I'm like, yeah, sure, I-, I believe that Jesus died for my sins. But even though I would make professions like that, there was never actually a, a sense of awe and a sense of enjoyment, the fact that Jesus had died for my sins. So isn't it weird how you can believe that truth, but in the same time, you, you're unaffected by it? It's just really interesting how that works. And... and and I know this because I remember when I first got my, my first cell phone. This is a moment, for any high school, this is a moment of power and authority in your life. You get that phone, and you're like, yes, I am invincible, you know, and I can go anywhere with this, you know, and connect with anything. And, and uh, anyway, so I got this Nokia phone, and I remember I'm heading out on a Friday night, and they meet up with my friends and do whatever stupid stuff we're going to do. And, and I looked down at my phone, and it was connected as if someone was on that line. And I, I was like, oh, weird. I didn't call anyone. And I put it to my ear. And the second I put it to my ear, someone said, I'm the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. Thank you very much. And hung up. And <laughs> I was like, no way. That didn't just happen. No. I don't believe in miracles. I don't know. It's, I just had this, this total you know, jaded, no way. That didn't just happen. And I just went on and did my thing that Friday night, what any other uh, fleshly pursuing high schooler would have done. And, you know, went out party with my friends. And 
with this facade of, I'm a Christian. And, and I walked in that way for some time throughout high school. And man, through, um, through a number of, of poor decisions and um, through just making, just doing the wrong thing. Um, there was a night where I just, my sins became very, very real to me for some reason. And I remember just <laughs> driving just out of town to like my quiet place <laughs> where I would hunt and stuff. Out, and I just was blaring music and I was angry and I felt, and I felt disgusting with my sin. And it was the first moment this night that I'm like blaring like system of a down or something dumb. And like, but man, God did something to my eyes or the eyes of my heart. And I saw my sin as an offense and a disgusting uh, blemish on my soul um, for the first time. Instead of sin being just this, oh, you know, I got caught, that inconveniences me because of what I want to do. It was like I had, I have offended a holy God. Like I, my sin makes me dirty before him. And, but at that same moment, praise God, he, 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 it was like he just reminded me that I am here to wash you. Saying, you are filthy, but I am a God that washes. I am a God that cleanses. And it was, for me, that was a moment that I believed that the Lord and through the Holy Spirit opened my eyes to my spiritual deadness and spiritual, just my rotted soul and, and then renewing it in, in, in that time. And it was beautiful and it was hard. But, and, and I look at that whole story of, I think, you know, a very brief summary of my testimony. I see the Lord pursuing me over this time. And I don't see it as like, sometimes you read the testimony of Paul. It's like this kick in the face by Jesus, like, Paul, you are mine now. And, and it's like, and you have a hard time relating with that, right? And some of us have these testimonies, that maybe most of us, of the Holy Spirit over a series of events of working on us and drawing us. And then it's sometimes it is that moment when you are brought face to face with, wow, this is who I am. And I don't, I don't want to be this anymore. And God's changing your desires. He's changing the nature of who you are. And so Paul, in this, this word to these Christians, he's saying, you were once dead. You were once spiritually alienated apart from God. And then, but they, and, and I, I just, I mean, they're all those scenarios. Imagine just, and us in here, we, have so, we come from so many different walks of life. But what unites us, what's so beautiful about a church is that it's so many different types of people coming together under that same banner that we are all sinners seeking Jesus, seeking something better than ourselves. We are all here, hopefully, desperate for God to work in us. And, it, and, and it's that desire that, you know, God, Jesus says, you know, and all tribes, tongues, and nations. I mean, the church is so diverse. I mean, you look around, we're all, we come, we're all, we got, we got hipsters, we got gangsters, we got, you know, old and young and, and you know, I'm not trying to judge any. I'm just saying I love this diversity. I love this mix. I mean, earlier for service, I saw a friend that I haven't seen in a while, this guy Dave, and, and he's like an avid bird watcher. And he just, he just knows like every bird. And, and we talk and we're like, Dave, you know, what, have you been, what have you been seeing lately? And he's like, oh, I saw this beautiful cinnamon teal. And I'm like, ooh, I love cinnamon teal. And myself being, um, I'm kind of counting down the days till duck season starts. But, you know, we ha- we're so different. We're so different. But, but, it, but what brings us together is not, you know, what we end up, you know, I end up, you know, wrapping the duck and bacon in a jalapeno in the middle. That's kind of my end result where he's just like beautiful, you know. I, I just take it a little bit farther. And so, um, but, but we, me and this guy, Dave, we're friends. And we talk about it. And we kind of laugh about that. And, and but because there's more to this, this community than just are we all the same? Are we all kind of a, have an affinity about us? We have a certain style at this church, and that's why we're all here? No, I hope not. Uh, but that we're united under this banner, and that's what Paul is doing with this church right here. He's saying, there's this one thing you all have in common, that you all were dead. And some of you still are. I'm not going to lie. 
I want you to be honest with me. I want to be honest with you. Some of us are here and we're dead. Some of us are here and you just, this is just some weird hobby. You're, this is some kind of like, you know, I'm going to go get a five-hour spiritual pick-me-up, you know? Like, and some of you here, you know, and you see this as like a collection of saints. Oh, this is where the good people meet. You know, I, I, and I know Brian would, says this much, and I appreciate that he does, that we are, we're not good people. God is the one who's good. And we relate with him. We pick up his identity, and we, cl- and we claim that because of what he does on the cross. And we're here not because we're good and because we've dressed ourselves up as well as you had. Congratulations for wearing a tie. And that is not what we find our identity in. But we come as sinners saved by grace, at least the, the folks that believe that do. And, 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 and at the same time, our doors are so open for anyone to come as Jesus' doors would be, any walks of life to come. Um, and so, okay, I don't want to beat this up, but there's this one quote that helped me in kind of seeing the weight of this. It says this, reason, The reason we need a Savior is not that we are in the doghouse with God and need to be forgiven for offending His glory. We need a Savior because we are in the morgue. In the doghouse, you might whimper. You might say you're sorry. You might make good, good resolutions. You might even decide to cast yourself on the mercy of God. But what can you do when you're in the morgue? How important is it for us that Jesus is a Savior? <laughs> is, he, is he actually the miracle worker that brings dead souls to life to you? Or is he kind of your, your sidekick that helps you when you're down spiritually or morally, devotionally? Who is Jesus to you? Because what Paul's going to do, he's going he's to really, really dig deep and give us some very vivid pictures of why the gospel is good news. Um, and so we're going to get into that here. Uh, let's keep reading in, in this Colossians letter. Verse, let's go 13 again. It says, and you were dead. We talked about that. And the uncircumcision of your flesh. And God made alive together with him, having forgiven us all our trespasses. Just stop right there for a second. This is, a, this is a news for me that I feel like never gets old, that never, ever gets old. Because when, when we talk about sin, we don't talk about sin just to, like, beat ourselves down, like I was saying. But we talk about sin because it's real, because it separates us from God. And, you know, I was having coffee with a, a good friend last week, and um, we were talking about just, the, you know, talking about this text. And, and he's like, man, one of the things that is so hard for me with my sin sometimes is just remembering who I was. And some of us, like myself, we come in to church and it's easy for us to just want to suppress our past, right? We just want to forget about what had happened to us and we want, we want to move on. Now, now, get this. Paul wants us to move on. He talks about pressing on toward what's ahead, leaving what's behind, you know? He talks about that. But right here, what Paul's doing, he's saying, he wants us to see our sin, but see the reality that all our sin is forgiven. That all, for this church, these Christians, their sin has been dealt with. All of it. Their past, their present sin, even the future sin. Because some of us, you know, you may come in with that weight of saying, man, I come with so much in my past. But at the same time, some of us are here, and you're like, man, man I, I'm holding on with a thread. Like, I'm here now, but I, I don't trust myself where I'm going. Like, I know my tendencies. I know my addictions. But what Paul's doing, he's saying, you're, co- you're covered in all your sins. Not just your past and the sins right now, but the future sins that you have yet to commit in like an hour from now. Jesus covers that sin as well. And I feel like we can't get enough of that message that all of our sin is covered. Amen? Amen. Yeah, we all agree. Uh, now, this is the thing. It's like, okay, you're like, great, God. You, you deal with all my sin. You cover all of it. And, but then he goes farther, and he goes this. He's canceled the record of debt. He's canceled the record of debt. Now, what's that? Because if your sins, if I tell you, you know, you, all your sins are forgiven, isn't there that, I don't know, if, if my brain goes here, you're like, when I stand before God one day, is he going to like walk behind that counter and pull out that file cabinet and just bust out my folder, bam, say, let's look at your life, Ben. And I'll be like, oh, no. Okay, well, 
And, and, and he's going to ask me, you know, why should I let you in to my kingdom? And, and I've, I practiced this, you know, in the mirror even. Because of your son Jesus, because of his record, because of what he's done for me, he is my righteousness. You know, this is something that, that I think about. But then what Paul is getting this, giving us this truth right here, not only is all sin dealt with and forgiven, the record of that sin, where that sin goes, has been canceled. This is why it has weight. Okay, quick story. When I was in college, back in my 20s, uh, I just turned 30 like a couple weeks ago. Uh, when I was in college, and I was uh, actually leading Summer, Summer Campus Crusade, and uh, just finished wrapping up the night, and I was dropping some folks off, and I kind of, uh, well, more or less, illegally went over this curb and shortcut, okay? Uh, I'm not going to tell you where it is, but I, I just, you know, thought, it, you know, whatever. No one's out. It's like, you know, 11 at night, and apparently this cop saw me do it, Okay. And uh, later that night, he caught up with me, and he pulled me over, and I'm just like, what's wrong, officer? You know, and he's like, oh, I saw you go over that curb earlier tonight. I'm like, oh, man, I'm really sorry about that. I I didn't think it was a big deal. And he's like, well, you can't do that. I'm going to, you know, I'm going to need to see your license registration. So um, I go behind the seat of my truck and pull out the uh, registration. But as I'm, like, pulling back the seat, I look, and there's this pile of fireworks in the back of my truck. And he's got his flashlight because it's late. And he's like, are those fireworks right there? And I'm like, uh, well, uh, I, I trust my judgment. Yeah, uh, I think they are. Uh, <laughs> and he's like, I'm going to need you to step out of the car. And, and so I'm like, oh, my gosh, wow, okay. This just got really serious. And I'm out of the car. And so he's like, can you just have a seat on the curb? Another car shows up, and there's this cop standing next to me just I'm like, this is crazy. I was just serving God a second ago. And now I'm like, and I, seriously, I saw like folks driving by that were just at the meeting, you know. <laughs> hey, <laughs> oh, just, I don't know. Just, you know, they asked for a track and I, you know, thought we'd just pull over together. Now, that's not what happened. So then this cop's in my truck and it's, you know, it's kind of a redneck truck. It was called Duck Truck and it's, it's gone now, but. Um, and then he found some bullets on the floor, okay? And like, and from when I was, like, hunting or something. I don't know. And he's like, is there a gun in the car I should be aware of? And I'm like, oh, my God, Lord, please, right now, just help me in this situation. And I'm like, no, sir, there's no gun. Uh, it's from when I was squirrel hunting, you know. I'm, I'm kind of redneck, so, you know, but I hope you don't offend you by that. But, uh, and so I'm sitting on the curb just like, God, please, just help me right now. I don't know what's going on. And he comes up to me, and he's like, after looking and through my truck, he's like, listen, fireworks, way illegal. That, going over that curb, that was dumb. And uh, bullets, I don't know what's going on. And he's just laying out my, my sins, really. And, and then he goes, so you, you graduating senior? And I'm like, yeah, I, I am actually. I have like one quarter left. All right, listen, I'm going to let you go. But you need to get rid of those fireworks and, uh, you know, on and on. Don't do that again kind of thing. And, uh, and then he said, but this is going on your record. So every time you get pulled over, this is coming up. And so now, for the last, like, seven years, I've been living with this reality that every time I get pulled over, I mean, it never really happens, but the times that it may have happened or uh, in the past, I, I, in my mind, I see the, the computer and in the, just, like, Bullets, fireworks, you know, evil. And I'm like, dang it. Like, I'm going to have this with me. Even though I was forgiven then, I carry this record with me. Uh, But then, oh man, bless this man's soul, Ernesto, a guy who fellowships here for service, came up to me. He's like, hey, I'm a CHP. That guy was totally blown smoke. There's no record. (laughs) I was like, oh my gosh. I've been living under this suppression for years. And, and then, but that, but it's the same way that freed I felt when he told me that. That's exactly what Jesus is getting, or Paul's getting at. Your debt has been canceled. The sins, though forgiven, they're no more. And the beautiful picture that, it, that it, this gives us, this very vivid picture, as Paul saying, together with Christ, you are raised He's bringing us into Jesus' story, okay? He's bringing us into what happened on Calvary. And what happened on Calvary, Jesus hung on a cross, was crucified, 
bled and died for us, for our sins. And what Paul says and alludes to, he says, your record of debt has been nailed to the cross. It's been nailed to the cross. And what they would do, the Romans, when someone would commit a sin against Rome or a treason or whatever the crime was, they would crucify them in public so that everyone can see in a common place that everyone would know and fear the power of Rome and fear the judgment and the justice of Rome. And over that criminal's head, they would nail not only the criminal, but they would nail the offense. As we see with Jesus, nailed on his cross, the king of the Jews. It was almost as if Rome was making fun of how ridiculous this was, that the Jews wanted to nail him to the cross. You're going to nail your king? So they were, so when the Jews saw this, they were like, what? Take that down. It's too late. It's already up. But what Paul does with that picture, he says, you and your sin and your record of debt is on a sign over Christ, whatever it is. You are an addict nailed to the cross. You are a pervert nailed to the cross. You are a terrible, unfaithful husband nailed to the cross. He's taking our sins and he's identifying them with Jesus. So Jesus stands in our place where we should be because of our sin. And he says, I'm going I'm to take the sign, the record, and nail it to my own cross. Wow. Insane. It's insane, the love of God, to do that for us. He didn't owe us. What did we do to deserve that? Paul says, you were even dead. You didn't even care. And then, but Jesus goes to the cross in our place. Uh, and, and First Peter says, he himself bore our sins in his body on the tree so that we might die to sin. I'm sorry, I'm mixing up. By his wounds, we've been healed. In his body on the tree. And then it says in 1 Corinthians, I think I wrote this one down. It says, God who made him who knew no sin to be sin so that we might become the righteousness of God. God the Father made his son to be sin so that we might become righteous. So when Jesus, when the Father sees us, he sees what his son did on the cross. He sees that record. He sees it nailed. And now some of your translations actually take that word canceled and I actually like this. I like them both. But uh, the older New King James or King James, whatever, used this word blotted out. And I, li- I like that because the, the original Greek in this, what was that idea was getting out and blotting out was this, that the record that had been written down was now smeared. It was, it was unreadable. And when you take that idea of smeared, it's almost as if Jesus, with his nail-pierced hands, taking that blood and smearing it over our record. And, it's, and when you, when the Father, and when others look at that record, you see Jesus' blood in its place. Isn't that vivid? Isn't that real? I mean, that, that's, that is, uh, it's very graphic, but it's beautiful. It's beautiful because it frees us. It does something to who we are because this is an issue of identity, right? Lord bless you. Snooze. Um, I don't actually believe that I bless them, but anyway, it's nice to say that sometimes. Um, this is an issue of identity. This is an issue of the fact that, that our identity has changed. Our record, what's over the cross, is, is not our own anymore. Jesus has taken that identity and given us his in exchange. It's what old church fathers would say, this is the great exchange. This is the great exchange. So this isn't just forgiveness by forgetting Forgive and forget. Oh, gosh, I hear that all the time when I shoot weddings. I'm like, God, it's so empty. I'm sorry if that was said at your wedding. But I just think that forgiveness by absorbing the forgiveness by payment is so much more real. Like when I, if, if it was just like, oh, Jesus just forgot. Like, really? God forgot my sins? Like, no, God took my sins and dealt with them. He dealt with them in the way of crucifixion. So when Paul says together, he's saying, you're brought up into this graphic, bloody, beautiful story of the cross. Wow. All of us. 
And, and he's saying this to a collective of people. And then he just goes farther. This is where this thing gets interesting. And, and um, look at verse 14. Um, 14? Yes. Canceling the record of debt that stood against us with its legal demands. This he set aside, nailing to the cross. Verse 15. He disarmed the rulers and authorities and put them to open shame by triumphing over them in him. So all of a sudden, this scene, this story of the cross is now identified as a battle. He's saying that on the cross, Jesus disarmed the rulers and authorities. Now, not just Rome, because you're like, wasn't he killed? Didn't they murder him? What is going on? What Paul is alluding to is this idea that, that we live in a, this was a, a spiritual battle as well as physical as well as Jesus experienced a physical crucifixion, there was more going on behind the scenes of the cross. Because Paul says in Ephesians 6, we do not, as Christians, we do not wrestle against just flesh and blood, right? But against principalities and darkness. Our battle as Christians is not always just, uh, man, I'm addicted to this thing, or I'm having a hard time controlling whatever, my passions, or... uh, you know, these different things that are very physical and very real and important, there's more behind that that's in a very spiritual way, meaning that we battle against evil principalities of darkness. We, this is something that's very real. And I love this one English preacher named Dick Lucas. He's, he's very witty and funny and dry English way. But he always says, uh, he says, for every look we give to Satan, let us give 10 looks to Christ. And I like that because it's, it's this idea that we can get kind of obsessed with Satan in a way that he's constantly after us. You're like, you know, you, I don't know. You like ride your bike into a wall. Oh, Satan, you know, what happened to my bike? You know, it, Satan's in it. You know, no, you know, let's not get ridiculous with it. But, but at the same time, when you get into this issue of our, how we see our identity, very much so, Satan is attacking you. He wants to, he's after you. Peter, Peter talks about him like a lion that's prowling around seeking whom he may devour. He's very much after you. Now, there isn't a lion, right, and slow, like, after us. Like, oh, no, there it is, run. You know, that's not, the, but this is a spiritual thing going down. And, um, and, and so this, this is this important that we see that on the cross, there was a spiritual battle and it says that Jesus disarmed their weapon, their way of attack. It says that they would have accusations against us. And those accusations were simply this, that we require, that God requires absolute perfect holiness according to his law. That that's what God requires. Be holy because I'm holy. And this was, this was a tremendous weight, right? I mean, many of the disciples were like, oh my gosh, who then can be saved? And Jim Jesus says stuff like, it's impossible with you, but it's possible with me. You know, with a smile on his face, probably. And, and that's what this thing is about. We're getting at these, 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 this battle that is very much spiritual. Okay, look at a text with me. Go to, go to Revelation. Revelation chapter 12. I, I kind of touched on this a few weeks back. And I just, I just like this, this text because it's, it's very applicable, I think, to where we're at here. And it's just, it's awesome. Verse 10, Revelation 12, verse 10, says this, And I heard a loud voice in heaven saying, Now the salvation and the power of the kingdom of our God and the authority of his Christ have come, for the accuser of our brothers has been thrown down, who accuses them day and night before our God. And they have conquered him by the blood of the Lamb and by the word of their testimony, for they have loved not their own lives even unto death. Therefore, rejoice, O heavens, and you who dwell in them, but woe to you, O earth, and sea, for the devil has come down to you in great wrath, because he knows that his time is short. The devil has come down and is very much real, very much present, but very much limited. Isn't it in Job, where we have this heavenly uh, picture, where God in this conversation with Satan says, Satan comes to God and says, he only worships you, worships you because of what you give him. And God, interesting enough, allows Satan to have his way to a, to a limit. God allows Satan to have his way. And it's this, Satan is going to come after us, and he attacked Job as much as he's going to attack us, and he's going to, his weapon is to hold up our sins. 
and saying, you don't deserve to be forgiven because you did this, or you were this, or you're going to be this. And he's attacking our identity, holding up this accusation. But what this says right here, there was a battle that went down on the cross where he was stripped. He was disarmed. He no longer has this weapon of attack against us. Not because we're so moral and so devoted and so passionately going to oppose him, but because we follow in the triumph of Christ. And that's where he takes this thing. He disarmed him and he triumphed over him. This was a very uh, relevant picture at that time to the Greek culture, the Roman culture, because when they would conquer another country or whoever they were after, they would actually have, they would be granted a triumph. And a triumph would take place where the army would roll into Rome and they would gather all the people. So this is something that was announced. They knew it was coming. And behind, the, the, they have the troops coming in and then the chariot right in the middle with its commanding leader, the triumph, would be on his chariot. And on that, behind him, he would be dragging behind him his conquered foes, most times naked. Whoa, so vivid so relevant to them in that time that they would see, when they heard that word of triumph, that Jesus triumphed, they would say, wow, on the cross, our Savior, our Lord, who has been defined for us all through this first part of the letter, and now we're actually seeing why this news is good. Because he has conquered not only our sins, but the one who holds our sins in our face all the time. And isn't this, and what he did, and when he conquered Satan, there was a blow taken to his, his head that spread him thin. And he's still after us, right? You still feel that condemnation at times. But that's why Paul's constantly saying things. There is now no more condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. And he asked the question, who can bring any charge against us? It is God who justifies. Later in Romans 8. Wow. What the gospel is doing for us here, we see it just unfolding in all these different ways. It's freeing us from this Satan in our face saying, you aren't who you think you are. We say, yes, I am because of Jesus Christ. Yes, I am because of what he's done. The cross, as much as we see it as a defeat of God, it was a victory. I know that we celebrate, that we, we mourn it on Good Friday. I know that we take that in and that it's good and right. But if we see it as an absolute defeat and murder, we're misunderstanding the cross. The cross was the beginning of the victory of God. The victory of, of, of Jesus over Satan, death, and evil. Amen? Is this good news? This is good. I think we need to hear this as much as we've heard it. You may have heard it before. Maybe the first time. Man, I just want to beat it into my head. I need it because it has to do with who I see myself as. I mean, am I just, is it just Satan's, or, I'm sorry, say, is it just Jesus gets me going? I say that prayer, I get going with my walk, and then now it's like, okay, get down to the grind. What do I have to do to keep myself in this? No, the gospel is for new believers. It's for middle-aged believers. It's for very old believers. It's for all people, and it's something that we constantly need to be reminded of and be in it transforming. It has a way of a power of piercing into who we are. Um, okay, let's, let's see where Paul goes with this thing, and I'm going to wrap up in just a minute here. Verse 16. So we see that victory. Yes, awesome, good. Verse 16, this whole thing kind of gets back to that original um, question, or that original thing when Paul said, see that no one takes you captive. And verse 16 says this, therefore, okay, because of the gospel, because it, the record is canceled, because you're forgiven, because of the cross, because the, the, Satan has been disarmed, now no, let no one pass judgment on you in question of food or drink, regard to festival, new moon, Sabbath. These are shadows of the things to come, but the substance belongs to Christ. This is an interesting turn that Paul takes on this, this whole drift. You know, he, he could have like left it and like, and I think if I prayed, we'd be encouraged, hopefully, God willing. We'd be encouraged, awesome, forgiven, we're saved. God's doing something very supernatural with us. But then Paul brings it down into their world. He says, now because this is true, now because this has happened, this isn't just Paul's sales pitch and saying, I hope you get it, I hope you buy into this. No, this has taken place, okay? It's, it's gone down. 
Now, because it happened, don't let anyone judge you according to food or drink. Now, what Paul isn't doing, and to my failure of first interpreting this, I kind of just took it as like, okay, so Paul's saying, I can now, don't let anyone judge me what I drink. I can drink whatever I want to drink. And don't let anybody tell me what kind of meat I can eat. I can eat whatever I want, you know? It's like, no, I, I feel like the gospel has to be a little bit more than that, right? It has to be a little bit more than now you have all kinds of liberties. No one can judge you. You can't judge me. I can drink a beer if I want, you know? No, I, I don't think it's that. I think what he's doing, he's saying this. Don't let anyone add to you and Jesus. Don't let anyone say it's Christ plus this, this devotion to drinking, this abstinence of meat that was like kind of a Jewish, you know, problem. And then he goes on and he adds more. And he says, and then these different festivals. He says, don't let anyone judge you and say that you have to be a part of this thing. Isn't it even Jesus who says, man is not for the Sabbath, but the Sabbath is for man? It's a rest that God gives to us that should be like freeing and helpful. And if you come to this saying, I'm just kind of putting in my time with God. I mean, I remember being very little and, and there was like an attendance chart in Sunday school of like all the little stars, you know? And I remember just being haunted by that, you know? Because you're like, Ben, it's like a couple stars and then it's like Victoria, you know? I'm like, dang it, she is so righteous. You know? Thank God it's not that, as silly as that is. See, true freedom True freedom comes because you have, you realize that you have favor with God, not because you're trying to earn it. And what people were doing is they were saying, though you're forgiven, there's some things you still need to do that are important in order to be fully made holy, to fully believe that you are loved. And they were adding things that actually aren't in the Bible They were adding rules and regulations and creating a new standard of holiness. Have you ever been a part of a community like this? Where you go in and everyone's like kind of about this one thing that isn't really in the Bible, but it's a good thing maybe? Like it's a good thing, but but then you kind of feel like if I'm not that, then I feel really judged and I'm a little inadequate. I've, I've been in that group before. Because wasn't Satan just finished judging the heck out of us? They don't deserve it in our face. And then Paul's saying, there's people that will be just like Satan who, who come and, and, and into a church and they love to hear their moralisms praised. They love to hear it all about them. And they have, they have find no finishing satisfaction in that the fact that Jesus loves them as they are done. It is finished. Don't add. Don't add to the gospel things that Jesus did not decree. Paul is telling us, he's not saying now you can do more. He's saying you're complete with where you are. If you believe this, Christ has become your life. Your life is now hidden in him. And that's what we're going to go in this letter. In chapter 3, we're going to get into this. You, you died and now your life is hidden in Christ. So Paul's just so much about this, seeing these people free. And just seeing these people come to Jesus with open hands and say, Jesus, would you just give into my life? Give me you. I want more of Christ. And, and that's what I hope our church, and, and I believe our church is, it has this desire. That we would come with open hands and say, Christ is all. And without him, Christ plus nothing is everything. Right? Yeah, I mean... You have been, we've been given this in Jesus. And like, why would we buy anything else? We're complete already. This is a very deep identity issue. And if you see yourself just kind of forgiven, but there's this record, you're going to, I guarantee you, you're going to find yourself doing something that makes you feel more righteous. And the root of this, that problem, whatever that doing is, I'm going to devo more, I'm going to be better at my attendance, more stars on the chart, I'm going I'm to abstain from this, or whatever, uh, okay, I think that if you have a conviction, amen for that. But don't let anyone judge you for that conviction, whether against it or, or for it, okay? That's the point. Don't let anyone bring this into a, like a new level of righteousness because you drink or you don't drink because you eat meat or you don't eat meat. Ha, one of my favorite verses, Paul on the roof, Peter on the roof, and the curtain comes down 
And Jesus says, all these, uh, don't declare unclean what I have declared clean. Arise, Peter, kill and eat. <laughs> sorry. <laughs> I don't know, sorry. But this is, it's Jesus saying that I'm, I, I am enough. It's not, and that's where he's getting at. Don't be obsessed with the shadows. Be obsessed with the substance of what the shadows are somewhat reflected by. I'm going to invite the band up. Um, I'm going to pray for us. Um, these, man, these are deep things that this doesn't change in one service. We've got to press in to Christ. We've got to press into who he is and what's been done with our sin. And I think this is a continually, uh, an ongoing pressing in. Because isn't Satan constantly active and constantly after us? He is. I feel it. Just because Jesus has won doesn't mean this battle is over. But we have determined the outcome. Amen to that. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to pray for you. God, these are great things. These are great truths. And they're life-changing. So Lord, anyone that doesn't believe that, that you're enough and that you have actually made a way, then God, I just ask that the Holy Spirit would just fall on them right now. And God, I pray for those people that have said you're not enough and are adding to their religion, adding to their faith. I pray that you just reveal yourself as just grand, just whole, grand and mighty and enough and supreme in their lives. And we pray that their faith would be renewed into, into grasping Jesus as he said he is. So God, we just are blessed to know that we have, that you've made a way for us to come in relationship with you. We, we, can, we can now get back to finding our souls in harmony with the God of the universe, our creator, through Jesus Christ and the vivid and bloody and amazing story of the cross. So God, we want to rejoice right now when we sing. We're, we're singing in, in, uh, in hope and in, in victory of what you promised us, that it is done. It's finished. There's no more condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. So God, as we just partake of the, of the blood, or not the blood, sorry, we partake of the wine and remember your blood. We partake of the, the bread and remember your body broken. God, just remind us of this good gospel. Remind us of how much you love us.